Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd like to start off the program tonight by uh, making a little announcement. The Hudson household, not the city of Albertville, not uh, Wright County, uh, just my household, not my block, not not my city, just me, me and my family. We are going to implement our own climate change policy uh, in defiance of Donald Trump's decision today to pull us out of the uh, Paris Accords. And uh, we we believe that by implementing our own uh, arbitrary, random climate change policy, that we will have some effect upon global temperature because we are crazy. We are insane. And we think that we have that kind of effect upon the weather. I, of course, am kidding. I hope you uh, you gathered that. But, you know, this is the reasoning that's being employed by uh, folks like, I think it's the, the state of Minnesota. Governor Dayton announced that Minnesota is going to have its own climate change policy. Uh, I, I think the city of Minneapolis announced this as well. There's a few headlines here in the stack. We'll get to them. Chicago, I know for a fact, came out and said, yep, we're going to establish our own climate change policy because the city of Chicago can change the weather, apparently. I it, it, it doesn't just border on absurd. It is genuinely absurd. And grown adults in positions of authority who have the ability to change public policy believe this stuff and operate under the premise. It is utterly crazy. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. You can catch us streaming at and your iHeartRadio device. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights in studio for this hour. We have a couple of guests, both from the same organization, Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter. We have Jason Flores, the state director, and we have Kelly Hill Gunderson, who just obtained the position of grassroots director for the organization. Welcome, lady and gentleman. Thank you, Walter. Thanks for having us. Can I say we are so happy to have Kelly joining us. It's going to be amazing having her on board. I got to say, I mean, that is why you guys are here today. The fact that I've known Kelly for as long as I have. And I heard that she had joined the organization. And, of course, I'm familiar with Americans for Prosperity uh, from a, a lot of the grassroots work I used to do with, as part of the Tea Party movement and what have you. So to see in those those worlds collide uh, was the impetus to have you guys in. And aside from that, I really don't have a whole lot planned for how this conversation is going to go. But <laughs> I, it's my understanding that you guys uh, have been up to a great deal during this legislative session. So let's dive right into what, what the latest is that you've been doing. Perfect. Well, there has been a lot going on in this legislative session, and though the news this week maybe sounds like we took a step back, let's uh, let, let, let's summarize the session first. I mean, before we get to how it ended and, you know, dissolving parliament and getting rid of a, an entire branch of government, let, yeah, let's right. talk about the good things that happened. And I think this session overall was a pretty good one. When you look going in with a state government that had already overcharged taxpayers by $1.65 billion, you knew that you needed to give some of that back to the taxpayers. And they did that in the form of tax relief to uh, 
property owners to business property owners to help make them more competitive uh, to farmers on agricultural land to students there were some veterans and some just across the board um, limits on on how we were uh, taxing into the future so that tax relief in a time of overcharged surplus like that it was absolutely critical that they got out of session with that and they did Um, in addition made some key investments in the future and don't let anybody tell you otherwise as a result of this session there's going to be $1.3 billion more put into education. There's going to be $50 million put into early childhood education. And in a way that gives school districts a choice to invest that in scholarships for those that most need it or to go Dayton's route and just extend the teachers union down to three-year-olds. Right. That'll be a local decision that those school districts can make. At the same time, we invested $300, billion, I'm sorry, $300 million in transportation each year from the general fund. That's going to be critical for our road and bridge infrastructure, and they were able to do it without raising taxes the way the governor wanted to and without raising tab fees, which was an idea that was floated there too. Mm-hmm. So when we already had this surplus, you've got major investments in the key core constitutional priorities of the state, and they did it all without raising taxes. That's a good thing. Now, as a, just kind of a getting into the weeds a little bit on the transportation issue, which, of course, perks up my ears as a uh, local official out there in Wright County, is the fact that there was no tax attached to this going to result in a kind of a, a revenue negative? You know, is the state going to be worse off because there wasn't a tax increase in some form? Well, what this did is it really said that transportation is a priority within just general fund spending. After this biennium now, as the budget that was passed, we're going to be spending almost $46 billion a year. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that you couldn't find this yeah, $300 right. yeah, million right. for transportation, one of one of the core priorities of government, sure. but that you had to have a, a tax increase for it? Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's competing within the general fund along right. with so many other priorities. Sure. But as long as roads and bridge, road and bridge construction remains a priority for voters, it's going to stay in the general fund like it is. So I'm interested in, and again, it might be a little bit too much in the weeds, but I'm interested in the mechanism by which it's been set as a priority. Is that just kind of uh, something that's stated in the the statute, or is that enforceable in some way? Yeah, it's not. Um, there's no constitutional dedication. Sure. Um, and in fact, no real separate fund. Um, it's just like so many other things that are in the general fund line right. item budget. They're right. spending $300 million on this set of transportation projects. Gotcha. So it's not protected per se, but again... If we're going to spend $46 billion right. in this state, we've got to be able to protect and find that money for transportation. Yeah, I, I'm really interested. And the reason I ask those questions is because I'm, I'm personally very interested in the idea of trying to establish some systematic means by which to to actually dictate those kinds of priorities. Because you know, as it stands, the, 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 the budget just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's not so much the amount of money that's being spent so much as what it's being spent on. That seems absurd to me when you have you know, very real needs and transportation certainly being high on the list. Uh, that that ought to be getting those those priority dollars. And I think, Walter, you know from from your day job, I've heard you talk about it on the air, that, you know, you're driving on these roads just like everybody else. You know, you, you can't do certain jobs through a train. You have to get out and drive. Right. And, you know, I'm driving my kids back and forth to school every day. Right. And I've seen, you know, uh, what's needed in in certain areas in the northern metro and mm-hmm. and boy it, i can't wait for the accesses from 10 to 35 w going north to get done yeah. and it's been needed for 20 years right at the same time my husband and i were driving 12 and 13 year old vehicles right and we need we need 
a new vehicle this year. That there's just no doubt about it. And when I saw the prospect of Governor Dayton saying that he was looking at increasing tab fees, I right. was like, that that puts off a decision like that for a family to buy right. a car. You know, am I going to be able to afford another six hundred dollars? With my down payment, with the finance right. and everything, or do we wait? And we waited until the session was over. And it's insidious in a couple of different ways. One, in in the way that you've already articulated, that in order to meet this this core basic obligation of government, uh, we must somehow increase the burden upon the taxpayer instead of looking at other areas where its spending is not so essential. It, it's insidious in that way, but it's also insidious in the sense that there is a movement that informs these priority choices when Democrats are in charge of any given agency or branch of government, and that is the idea that we shouldn't be driving our cars. You know, we should be all be in trains and buses and you know walking or riding our bikes or whatever the case may be from you know, Albertville to downtown Minneapolis, whatever, which is absurd. But that's how they think because, again, they are operating under the insane premise that we can somehow have an effect upon the temperature of the planet. <laughs> It, it may well be a viable option to connect two downtowns. That that may seem logical in the big picture, right? But we had this exchange a couple times during the session, where you have to you can't just look at commuters. Our highways and our roadways and that infrastructure isn't just about commuters. We're going to start delivering stuff to Target or Walmart via train too, yeah, and we're going to have a yeah. train track that goes to every one of them. You've got to have the ability for those trucks to get there. Right. When your house is on fire, do you want the fire department to jump on the uh, light rail, wait for the next stop, right. make the connection, yeah. get your house, and then hook up the hose? I mean, it's, it's just not a commuter-only option. Sure, some people are going to pick that. Some people are going to choose that between downtowns or between the mall or for a convenience sake. Great for Twins games, right? Mm-hmm. But the world doesn't just operate in, in that little bubble. Right. There's a bigger set of needs out there that we have to have road and bridge infrastructure to, um, to set, never mind the rest of the state where that kind of transit isn't even yeah. – Right, a, a, yeah. a, a possibility at all. Right, yeah. You're talking about people who who are operating within a bubble of thought that's that's defined, you know, mostly by these academic senses of the way they think the world ought to be, with no acknowledgement whatsoever of how it actually is, how mm-hmm. it actually works. You know, those of us who get out there on a daily basis and actually see, you know, business in action and and you know see those emergency vehicles responding as needed and uh, the, the different transportation uh, or, or cargo options that are that are taking place. It's very clear where the actual needs are in the real world, but unfortunately, a lot of the folks who are in charge are completely detached from that real world. Mm-hmm. Well, one other thing that this transportation bill did do that's going to give some of these folks that are in the bubble in Hennepin and Ramsey County a, a chance to maybe weigh in a little bit is because the uh, Republicans in charge of the House and Senate caucuses didn't want to fund that light rail transit, in fact, put up burdens to future construction of light rail on the southwest line out right. here in the west metro— and then took the state off the hook for future operating costs. The way that they did that to make this deal with the governor there was now. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hennepin County or Ramsey County, they can raise their local sales tax mm-hmm. up another half a cent. In Hennepin County, that's $125 million. Ugh. It's going to be charged to taxpayers in Hennepin County. Right. And based on the makeup of the board, it's basically already a done deal. They've already had the hearing. They're just waiting for the formality of the bill being right. signed last Friday. Right. 
Now they have the hopefully one more hearing, and then boom, $125 million more, and Hennepin County is the local match for your maybe federal dollars for Southwest. So this is going to be a huge fight and a very quick fight in Hennepin and Ramsey County. Uh And if you're a taxpayer in one of those two counties, I would get in touch with your county commissioner now. I would get in touch with your legislator now and let them know that, look, this isn't a good idea, whether the state's paying for it, whether the local government in Hennepin County is paying for it, or frankly, the federal government shouldn't be paying for it either with a $19 trillion deficit. I I couldn't agree more. There is a certain irony to the notion that those counties will raise their taxes in order to fund a transportation mechanism that is meant to try to kind of herd us and contain us within the urban core. And the actual effect of that is going to be people leaving and, and, and going to the suburbs even more than they already are uh, to, to where they're going to be underserviced if the Democrats have their way, the liberals have their way in terms of transportation. Well, and not even people moving out of the city, but businesses. I right. mean, businesses are under just great threat in, in the great city of Minneapolis and in Hennepin County and Ramsey County, too. I mean, when you go down, if you work in downtown, you go buy lunch, go take a look at your receipt and see what percentage of your sales of, of the sales taxes. I work down there. I used to work in downtown Minneapolis probably, I think it's about 11 years ago. And I, I don't know, got a subway or something, grabbed my receipt, happened to look at it and went 11 percent. Right. I think 11 yeah, percent. Right. I don't know what it is these days. Yeah. But that was 10 years ago. Sure, sure. Uh, what? What's your sales tax for your Subway sandwich now right. or your piece of pizza or the drinks you want to go have after work with friends? Yeah. That stuff is starting to move out to the suburbs more. Well, and, and what are you getting for that? Like what's the, what's the value proposition of paying that level of sales tax to live in an overcrowded area where that businesses are fleeing? On a regular basis because mm-hmm. of these very policies that are changing. I mean, we've seen it before. Detroit comes to mind. Mm-hmm. When we come back, uh, we'll get into more of what's going on with Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter, with our guests, Jason Flores and Kelly Hill Gunderson. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the organization itself, what it is that they do, and uh, evaluate more of what's been happening down at the legislature, including Governor Dayton's move to basically end it, which is odd. And accident. I'm calling it accidental tyranny. Like, I don't think he's really thought it through. Well, I think it's pretty deliberate. All right. We'll get to that when we get back. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. The left has a lot of organizations, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of, uh, what do you call them, 501c3s, a lot of... A lot of non-governmental organizations committed to moving their agenda forward. It's it's almost as if you know they're pressing them out of a factory or something. It's unbelievable. There's an organization for every cause, an organization for for every issue, uh, for every season, for every day of the week. Sometimes it seems, and they're all paid enormously well to do the work that they do. And uh, they they go out and they they field staff to to pound the streets and to to build lists and to to uh, command their their little political soldiers in order to get their folks elected. And on the right, we've just been operating at a severe deficit, at least from my perspective. Maybe we'll, I'll, I'll learn differently in this segment with our guests from Americans for Prosperity. The Minnesota chapter, Jason Flores, the state director, Kelly Gunderson, the grassroots director, both in studio this evening. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5. FM 651-989-5855 if you have a comment or question for our guests. 
So how about it? What is it that Americans for Prosperity does uh, generally? Tell us a little bit about how the organization is structured and, and, and address that issue of the disparity between the right and the left in these areas. Yes. So Americans for Prosperity, we're the leading grassroots advocate for free markets in the entire nation. We have 37 chapters. Minnesota is one of those. And what we do is we really go direct to citizens in advocacy for free market principles. So limited regulation, um, low and efficient taxes, uh, making sure we keep a handle on government spending, the health care reform, and all, all these topics that we've been you know, talking about as successes here in this legislative session. Those are the issues that we work on. And a lot of people think it's a, a, a PAC or it's political, but it's, it's not. It's a C3, C4, just like many of our um, esteemed colleagues on the other side. Sure. And what that means is that we're working on the issues, not on candidates. So we don't endorse candidates. We never say vote for a candidate or do anything like that. What we'll do after a legislative session like this one is put information out that says yeah, your representative in your district voted for X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z are good for Minnesota, bad for Minnesota. We do a, a mix of, of positive and negative type of a, accountability and then leave it to those voters and those constituents to make up their mind about what they want to do with those issues. Really, our core mission is to take a campaign-style approach, so it's door-knocking, it's phones, it's rallies and events, issue education, take all those things and give activists tools to make a difference in their community. And in terms of that effort here, specifically in Minnesota, uh, are there any highlights um, from from the past few years? How long has there has there been a chapter here in Minnesota? And uh, what are some of the things you guys are trying to ramp up towards? Sure. We've had a uh, chapter here in Minnesota for a little over four years now. Um, I've been here for just about two years. I'm, I'm started in June two years ago. Um, really, we've been focused a lot thus far on educating um, citizens about what's going on at the state capitol. So especially uh, last session, uh, before the Senate majority took over, we had a big fight and a lot of success in pushing back on a gas tax increase right. and making sure that that was completely off the table in the House and making sure that senators who voted for it knew that they were going to be held accountable for that vote because a gas tax is, in addition to not generally wanting to raise taxes in a time of surplus, a gas tax hits the most vulnerable right. people among us the hardest. It's a regressive tax. The governor's own tax incident study would tell him that right. if he cracked it over and, and right. took a look at it. So we were successful in, in raising the narrative on that issue and making sure that legislators knew that on that and on a number of other votes they've taken, that we'd hold them accountable. And I think that um, that's led to... Uh, a little more of a conservative policy conversation in the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember, and, uh, and I'm sure both of you are as well, when uh, Governor Dayton said during one of his campaigns for governor that he was never going to raise taxes on anybody who made less than, I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was a large number. It was like a six-figure number. And, of course, a gas tax is a blatant play against that promise or, or betrayal of that promise, which, of course, is not the only incident of Dayton uh, doing that in terms of his prescription for taxes. Are, are there any other issues that are hot on your radar at the moment? Well, one thing that we're working on into um, the future here, one is going to be these local taxes, depending on how in Hennepin County and mm -hmm. Ramsey County they get implemented. We want to make sure that people know basically what their commissioners are signing them up for. Right. Um, the other fight that went on this year uh, was this idea of a statewide preemption on labor standards, minimum wage as an example, paid family yeah, leave. Right. And it's an interesting argument because it does divide a few Republicans where sure. a statewide preemption bill like that would really quell local control of issues, which has been a, a conservative right. you know, platform yeah. issue for, for forever and, sure. I, and I think still should be one. Right. And so 
the the problem isn't so much that in in our mind that Minneapolis or, or St. Paul has the ability to to do these things, though it's mm-hmm. a legal question that that may still be decided. The problem is that they're just bad policies. Minimum right. wage doesn't create job. In fact, it it kills those very jobs that people who've never had a job before right. need in yep. order to take that first step up on the ladder, right? And and so we oppose those policies on their face, on the policies, not in the manner in which they were done by the city councils. Now, it does, though, leave us one opening in this grand heritage of local control in Minnesota and having a lot of more conservative um, cities and counties that surround this bubble that we've been talking about here in the metro. Right. You've got a lot of cities that are very interested in taking a look at uh, labor law reform, as an example, in bringing right to work to Minnesota or a paycheck protection type law to really encourage worker freedom mm-hmm. and do something to make Minnesota a more attractive place to do business or to bring in business from outside. Right now, because of our tax code, we're losing jobs to a variety of states. We're losing businesses. We're losing high net worth individuals that just don't want to pay to be here anymore. In the long run, in Minnesota, it's going to hurt us. If we don't do something now to change that regulatory regime, the tax regime, and labor law in this state, we're going to lose out. So that's why we're going to start going uh, city by city across the state talking about some of these labor reforms that can be made and really build that pressure from the outside and in, much in the same way that Minneapolis and St. Paul has tried to put pressure from the left. I got you. So am I understanding correctly that it doesn't particularly matter to you the mechanism of whether or not it starts local and spreads virally, so to speak, or whether it comes from the state in, in terms of a statute, you just want the right policies. Like if Minneapolis and St. Paul want to tax and regulate themselves into oblivion, into <laughs> a uh, into a ghost town, there's there's not much I I can do. Well, right. In St. Paul, I guess I can. I live there. I'm a citizen. I'm going to sure. be active. Right. Right? right. But there's not much I can do to stop them because on numerous issues, we've given cities the ability to yeah. set some of these policies. Right. Um, they're probably is some argument for some uniformity and some standards somewhere as you have businesses that are doing uh, business multiple judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Locations across the state and look at what the compliance costs are. Same as why we have some issues that are uh, federal in nature that we do want to have a federal standard on. But more times than not, what you've seen is the state government abdicating their responsibility because the federal government's willing to give them money and they take control. And then the state government does the same thing to local and county governments. And I think that's a very, very slippery slope to be going down. And if we can help turn that tide back in the right direction, I think our elected officials at the local levels can be much more accountable to their voters, are much closer to their communities, and are less beholden to the partisan interests that want to tear things apart. That's Jason Flores, the State Director of Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter. We also have in studio or in studio Kelly Gunderson, the newly appointed grassroots director for that organization. When we come back, we'll talk with her about that role. What exactly is it that a grassroots director does, and uh, what kind of opportunities does that present for you, the listener? 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Thank you.
shouldn't we all be for prosperity? I think that's kind of a, a given, right? I you love know, it. You get these you get these organizations or these the titles of bills or whatever the case may be that come up with these creative terms that make something sound different than what it actually is. One of the things I like about Americans for Prosperity is that it's accurate. Like that's <laughs> what it is. It's Americans who generally like the idea of pursuing values and enjoying abundance as a result of production. Prosperity, it's a good thing for all those concerned. Mm. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. We have in studio with us tonight Jason Flores, the State Director of Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter, and also the newly appointed grassroots director for that organization, Kelly Gunderson. I like how you say that, newly appointed. Newly appointed. Well, I don't know if it Makes was... Makes me a, feel special. <laughs> I, I don't know if there was a christening ceremony involved, if, if you had to, you know... She'll get her knighthood later this yeah, year. Yeah, if you had to have a sword on both shoulders, whatever the case may be. <laughs> um, but, you know, Kelly, your arrival uh, in, in this organization is interesting from my perspective because, of course, I know you in the same way that a lot of listeners likely know you, which mm-hmm. is as a regular caller into talk radio shows and somebody who, from the party level, the Republican Party level, has been active uh, as a partisan activist and what have you. How is it that you came to this role, which is kind of, I think, extra-partisan is probably the inappropriate word, or unpartisan, unpartisan. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, nonpartisan is the term that we like to use. Sure. You know, too. Um, well, you know, Walters, you know, I, I, I have been involved in party politics for a long time, and about two years ago, I kind of started to kind of just back out a little bit. My kids were getting older. Um, I was still very interested in things that were going on, but it, it wasn't anything wrong with the party system. I just kind of felt I had done 20 years. And in in my area, in um, uh, Lana Lakes, Hugo, Circle Pine, some great people were coming up, and um, they were taking roles that were needed. Um, and I just kind of felt this was an opportunity to kind of back off a little bit. But yeah. still, you know, I've got great friends. Um, I still love to head to a convention to just watch how the process works because right. I'm a geek. For I'm sure, a junkie, sure, and I, sure. I love that stuff. Um, but I've been I've been politically active literally since I was a kid. I had family members who ran for office that um, I went to do flyers for and went with my dad to to do some door knocking, I think, or we did something. Um, so I've always had this interest and this passion. And then, um, I went to, um, I, I got involved in Americans for Prosperity with one of their former grassroots directors. And I did a little phone calling and started to kind of get to know them because sure. I still, right. you know, like you said, we got to have other organizations out there yep. who help in this process. Yep. Um, and, and then I went to, um, what they call is the defending the American dream summit. Yep. Um, two years ago mm-hmm. and fell in love with sure. the organization. There sure. was education. I oh, yeah. I got to spe- I got to listen to um I forget his name, current FCC commit um chair. Okay. Ajit Pai, I think is his name. That sounds I, I'm probably butchering his pronunciation. <laughs> but I went to a talk of his at this summit. Sure. Right. And I was yeah. just blown away. Yeah. Um a lot of people who were running for um president yeah, but I met people. I met this wonderful lady from South Carolina. Yeah, just yeah. in the audience, and her and I had this fabulous conversation. Yeah. But I, I went with other Minnesotans, and so I really got, really got to know the yeah. organization. 
And then I saw that this position became available. Right. And I, I had a very stable job and knew that I could stay there as long as I wanted to. But there was this calling in me that said, you've mm-hmm. got to at least pursue it. Sure. And I knew if I didn't apply for it and at least see what would happen, right. I'd be kicking myself. Sure. So I did. And I got to meet Jason and we talked. I met some great people in other parts of the organization. And I said, I so want to do this. And so what my position is, is to be another face, another voice for Americans for Prosperity in terms of the grassroots level, the volunteer, the activist, where I was a couple years ago, of somebody who's been doing this kind of advocacy work for 20 years and really never got paid for it. Um, it it's on that level of, you know, I know what the activists do. I know right. what we need to do. I know how... Um, they'd like to be treated and talked to. And I want to take my role and take care of those people. But also, you know, we're going to set up um, classes. We're going to do issue education, which I'm super excited about. Because like you said, I hear the word preemption, and I have to remind myself what that is mm-hmm. because it's a new term. And there's yep. there's a lot of other things that um, I think people are really interested in learning about, but the opportunity isn't there. You just read what's in the newspaper. You watch the 5 o'clock news. But we're going to bring it to the people on a level of come in, sit down with us for 90 minutes, two hours. We'll feed you, and you're going to get some great information. And then later on, turn that in education into some advocacy work. One of the emergent and uh, recurring themes of this program is that political activism in, in the ways which come to mind when you hear that term or, or use that term is not sufficient. We need to go beyond that. We need, we need to have education. We need to to advocate for issues in in a way that that starts to propagate them within the culture because it's from the culture that the politics is born. 651-989-5855 the number to join the program. Joe in White Bear Lake, welcome to closing argument. Yes, thank you. I I have a question. Is Prosperity, the enemy of socialism, is my first question. We'll take it. All right. Is prosperity the enemy of socialism? I think that when you look at the record that socialism has around the globe, I mean, most notably, visibly, and close to home here in Venezuela, it simply can't work in the long run. I mean, Margaret Thatcher was famous for it. Eventually, you run out of other people's money. Mm -hmm. And so you need a, a free market capitalist-based system to create the the prosperity that then you do have the resources to be able to take care of the the sick and the neediest among us. So socialism might have some appeal to 25-year-olds who think it sounds, you know, good in a, in a textbook, but in the real world, it just falls flat, flat on its face. I think it's an interesting uh, choice of order that you place that question in, Joe. Is, is prosperity the enemy of socialism? And do you have some ideas on that subject? Well, uh, yeah. If if I if I take a look at a phrase I got from an editor once that says conservatives are much more comfortable with uh, uh, compassion than the liberals are with economics. And, Interesting. Uh, if you start putting that together, as the gentleman just said, uh, most of the Democrats I know lead with their heart. But they have very, very uh, little historical background, and they never look at the harm or the effects of their agenda. Sure. I think that's one of the things that 
we try to do with some of our education programs is to go back to the basics on free markets and and why they're a good thing and go back to the basics on individual liberty and and why our our country is founded on on those ideas because they have certainly worked over the last 200 years. I mean, if you look at the scope of human history and the amount of people that have been brought out of abject poverty under the capitalistic system that we've had for 400 years now, I mean, there's no system like it in in the history of of the world. And if we're talking about creating opportunity for folks to get jobs and training and education and come out of poverty, even within our system right now, we have room for improvement of giving people back dignity in their work, giving yeah. people back an opportunity on their own level to pursue what happiness means for them. Right. Uh, we, we can't have a centralized government approach to these things and try to dictate what happiness looks like for an, an entire population. May Pre- I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it. It seems that fascism, national socialism, communism, and socialism all have to be enforced, generally at the point of a sword. Mm-hmm. Capitalism is the only only one that has to be defended. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. I appreciate your call, and uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, I mean, the, Joe brings up a good point there towards the end. I, I have issues with the way our political spectrum is is typically articulated where you know the the left and the right are generally regarded as two brands uh, of they're not distinguished in the way that I feel like they need to be distinguished which is liberty on the one end and authority on the other which which really is the meaningful distinction that's the meaningful spectrum you know the 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 reason why free markets are so important is not just the utility of the fact that, as you know, Jason, they, they have facilitated the highest quality of life, not just in the world, but in human history from the beginning of right. time. We enjoy when you are born today in the United States of America, you are in probably probably the top one percent of the top one percent of all human beings who have ever lived in terms of the quality of life that you enjoy. You live better than a king did 500 years ago. Right. And that's because of freedom. That's because of capitalism. That's because of the extent to which government has has performed the function of defending individual rights. And when you talk about the, the one thing Joe said that I'll quibble with is that the, the leftists lead with their hearts. I understand what he means when he says that, but I don't think it's actually true. I don't think they get to have the mantle of compassion. I, I think that's a fraud because you, you can't be compassionate while you are undermining the means by which human beings have enjoyed the greatest level of prosperity that they have ever experienced in the history of man. Well, I don't think that that means that our system is completely without its flaws either. I think when right. people worry about capitalism, there's a difference between a this capitalist Wall Street mentality and a and a free market, you know, small town free exchange of ideas mentality. And really, that has a a, a big root in what you see in cronyism, in corporate welfare, in special interest handouts, in in the idea that the system is rigged somehow, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're really working on right now at a federal level with uh, tax reform is to unrig that system. Let's come back and talk more about that in our final segment with you guys. 
Jason Flores and Kelly Gunderson, state director and grassroots director, respectively, of Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. From the local ABC affiliate, Republicans in the Minnesota legislature will look to hire legal counsel Friday to fight a veto by Governor Mark Dayton that eliminates funding for legislative operations for the next four years. Yesterday, the governor took an unconstitutional step to defund the legislature, attempting to silence both the House and Senate for the next four years, House Speaker Kurt Doubt said in written statement Wednesday afternoon. As I stated earlier, this is Doubt continuing, I am disappointed in the governor's behavior and his decision to veto our operating budget over differences he previously agreed to. The governor has left the legislature no choice but to seek outside counsel in an effort to defend the people's voice at the Capitol. And yeah, I mean, what else do you possibly say about this incredible situation that we find ourselves in? Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. In studio with their reaction to this week's developments, Jason Flores, the state director of Americans for Prosperity, and Kelly Gunderson, the newly appointed grassroots director for that organization, the Minnesota chapter. Guys, is this is this real? Is this actually happening? Am I going to wake up at some point? I don't know that it gets more un Minnesota nice than this, right? To just That's to take like, that is so you, you true. can you can disagree with your political opponents and you can fight tooth and nail. You can go through special sessions and all these things. You can have bitter campaigns, but to just eliminate funding so that your political opponent can no longer exist, right? I mean, that's it's clearly unconstitutional. It's yeah. clearly a separation of powers violation, and and it's interesting that he does this after we get to the end of session. And they're negotiating, but they don't quite have a deal. And then they find the the broad framework of a deal. So the governor calls them right back. They spend three days working out the nitty-gritty. And the governor's, by all accounts, involved in that process the whole time. They're chatting with him, talking to him regularly about what he'll sign, what he won't sign, what these bills, the the details of it all is going to look like. And then after the legislature's done all that they do and they adjourn, Mm -hmm. then he says, well, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to. Maybe I want like three or four or five more things that I didn't get before, but I'm going to sign these bills. Well, okay. Right. Well, right. if if the governor has a problem with a bill, the governor's job in the Constitution is to not sign the bill right. and kick it back. Yeah. And he could have done that. It's we still got as of today 29 days before these budget bills literally had to be signed before mm-hmm. a shutdown. Right. If you had a couple concerns. Go back, veto it, and and actually work on those pieces. Right. This is just pure politics in eliminating the legislature, basically after the fact, mm-hmm. and and this changing goalpost of of his. He did the same thing last year, right? You remember yeah. we had and the right year before down- that, and the year before <laughs> that. I mean, it's a constant phrase with this administration, which is moving goalposts, mm-hmm. and. It's uh, to me, it's just ridiculous. He came back last year and vetoed a tax bill after all the negotiations, mm-hmm. after all the give and take, after the tax bill was part of that negotiation. Right. And suddenly had problems with an and or an or that could have been fixed sure, with, right. with basically common understanding of, of what their intent was. The revisor's office does it all the time. And now here he is again with concerns about a tax bill that passed the House with over 100 votes. If this bill was so bad, that it either needed to be vetoed or that you needed to eliminate funding for the legislature in order to fix it. Right. Why did it pass with 100 votes? That means 30-some Democrats voted for it. 
And I'd be interested in hearing for those Democrats. And I don't know, maybe they have. I haven't seen any headlines and, to this effect. And to some of their credit, some of them have already weighed in um, equally or close to equally upset about this as the speaker was in that quote. Um, and, they, and they have given him a hard time for it. I mean, regardless of the partisan politics or the issues at stake here, this is a terrible unconstitutional sure. precedent for a governor to set. Well, it's just, you know, I like to I like to think of myself, regard myself as a relatively insightful, intelligent guy. And this story makes me feel stupid because I can't begin to understand what strategy is being employed here. Like, right. what is the thinking? Like, is this a kind of a cafe face situation <laughs> where <laughs> where people are where people are looking at it and they're trying to impose meaning upon something that's just nonsense? Or is there actually some sort of tenth level strategy that the governor's engaged in here that actually leads somewhere and earns him something? I don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't either. And what's going to happen if, if, if you know, this becomes a, a – I don't know how it's going to go in the courts in terms of how quickly, how how not quickly it goes because um, it's so unprecedented. But what happens when somebody in Roseville or in Apple Valley needs to call their legislator over an issue and there's nobody there picking up the phone? Right. That's that's the issue right. that's going to come down Well, to. and that that's the thing that boggles my mind is that when that person doesn't get their call answered – they know exactly who to blame yeah. because the guy's out front taking responsibility for it and or, acting as if it's a good thing. Right. Or what happens if there's a flood in Crow Wing County or right. something happens up in Moorhead and something needs to be alerted to the legislature, to, to representatives and their staff is not at the door. Right. What I mean, they, they're not picking up the phone. What happens? Well, and, and remember in all this that this doesn't remove their election certificates. Yes. This doesn't make them not representatives or senators. It just means sure. there's no funding over there. So I, I say we do it, you know, territory style and throw up a tent on the uh, on the on the front lawn nice. and and just start nice. meeting. <laughs> I mean, sure. why not? It, that doesn't right. cost a lot, and we can do it. It'd be a darn good symbolism for what the governor's trying to do in, in shutting down the legislature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's utterly nuts, and I, I don't. If I was a Democrat right now, and I'm sure this probably is the case privately amongst many of them, I would be absolutely livid because mm -hmm. there's no way this redounds to their benefit. And he's not even going to have to pay the cost because he's not running again, right? All the people who are going to pay politically for this nonsense are those who are going to be left behind as he casually walks away from the explosion behind him, you know, slow-mo style. <laughs> All right, we've come to the end of our time together tonight with uh, Jason Flores and Kelly Gunderson, the state director and grassroots director, respectively, of Americans for Prosperity, the Minnesota chapter. Before uh, we let you guys go, how can people connect with your organization? Is there anything that's uh, pending coming up quickly that you want to make sure people know about? Best thing to do is uh, stay in touch with us. Take a look at our website. It's americansforprosperity.org. should take you right to the Minnesota page on there. You can also see what we're doing nationally. We have a Facebook page as well as a uh, active Twitter account at ProsperityMN. Um, and the only thing I would say is we are going to be hosting an open house coming up in a couple of weeks, June 24th, middle of the day. A lot more information online about that. Hopefully you'll get an invitation for it and you can join us. It's a Saturday and we're going to have some really good food. So I hope Sounds everybody great. comes. Looking forward to it. Next hour, let's get into some good news coming out of the Trump administration. He has done something that is worthy of praise, and I am willing to give it to him. This is Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Line up your call, 651-989-5855, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.